Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Oh man, I don't know why I just got nervous as it was counting down. Like, okay, now we have to start talking. What are we going to say? We don't have much this morning. That's the buzzer. That's the buzzer effect. It is. Have you, have you ever noticed that with sports, in, like in basketball? It could be totally insignificant game. Mm-hmm. Absurdly uneven score. But you start that countdown. Five, four. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh, my God, is he going to make the shot? <laughs> Especially like the halftime buzzer. It's so, oh, yeah. so arbitrary. You get a whole other another twenty minutes of basketball to play. Like this is your last chance before you go into the locker room. That's yeah. a, it. Can be a whole momentum shift, though, man. You hit one of those half court shots. It's true. It's amazing. Like everything. A, a a six point swing. Say somebody misses a three on one side, and then the other team makes a three. It could be the difference between going up by ten into the locker room, going up by three, four. four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you know what I was thinking about? Speaking of clocks, I was I looked it up. I tried to Google it, but I couldn't find a clear answer. I thought about football and how, for the most part, the clock, uh, the clock drains during when the ball is dead. Now I don't know if that's technically a dead ball when it's just like sitting there hasn't been snapped. Is that dead? Yeah. Right. It's a dead ball. Yeah. So most of the clock goes away on dead balls. Yeah. Which is, I think that's why as a kid, it didn't make sense to me, like the whole, the whole thing with the clock in football, because all the other sports, you have this many minutes to play it, but so much of the clock is managed by how long do you wait to snap it and yada, yada, yada. You know what I mean? Isn't that odd? It is. I think they timed it one year. Well, I heard a stat one year that the Super Bowl um which think about everything that goes into the super bowl i mean it's like the cultural we literally use it as a symbol of the most important thing it's like the super bowl of whatever sport there's like the super bowl of masses you know (laughs) there's billions and billions of dollars that go into that with millions of people that watch huge deal and i think they said there were 16 minutes of live football football. Mm -hmm. played yeah but football is there's a lot that goes into it. Right. A lot of strategy, a lot of moving pieces. And but like, people say baseball's boring, but I mean if you if you now I only watch football on my iPad, which I can double tap between every time someone gets tackled, it's just like tit tit 15 seconds forward and it's usually like right before he snaps it again and then skip the commercials and then go through halftime. So I, I can watch a, football, a Bears game in 16 minutes because that's how much football is getting played. Maybe that's what's made me key into this fact. Yeah. Well, football, the, the clock management is part of the game, though, I would argue. like You hear, I mean, how important clock management is between coaches or quarterbacks that are good at it. That's a whole different like mental aspect to the game. Right. So I don't know. Well, then soccer is the other side of it. 
where they just let that thing roll no matter what. Yeah, and the and the clock is going up, not down in soccer. I don't I weird. don't understand soccer at all. And then it's at the end they're just like, you know, like it is 90 minutes. it's 90 minutes, but if you guys are having fun, just keep playing. It's fine. Yeah. Like, I don't know, 3 4 5 minutes plus time. But then I've seen people get hurt in plus time and it wastes all of the extra minutes. Mhm. Like, well, you just gave extra minutes for that guy to lay on the ground. <laughs> what is this? Oh, man. That one I do not get. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I'm sticking with my football. Even though I do like watching soccer, it's very, it, it can be a very beautiful sport. The, the movement of the ball coupled with the movement of the team mm. that naturally creates spaces. Being in the right place before that place opens up, knowing, knowing where the right place is going to be, I love elements of sports like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a that's a metaphor for the spiritual life right there. Boom, baby. Whoa. Wow. Just dove right in. That was natural. That was a natural wow. transition. I didn't know you were just going to take it right into the deep end, dude. 12 <laughs> foot. Wow. Did you imagine Zero. if we scripted something like that, how corny it would be? <laughs> Okay, let's start by talking about stoppage time. Okay, and then I'm gonna do some sick spiritual metaphor. Okay, (laughs) set me up. Okay, I've got I've got an idea. Let's start talking about football. (laughs) I actually have a a kid. He's not a kid. He's uh, out of college now, but he's coaching soccer. Um, who's part of our Samuel group, and I've gotten to know a little bit this year and he, he hey is your is your samuel group is that like a discernment group yes thank you uh it's a once a month discernment group and um he he was a player himself and trying to be a pro soccer player and was in like the chicago fire farm system for youth and whatnot and uh got hurt at a key time and um just kind of decided to go all in on the coaching thing, um, which he'd read some books and talked to some guys and he went over to England, which is crazy. Uh, they pay their kids who they think are like phenoms to play soccer. They, they don't charge you to be in a traveling league. They pay you, um, Hmm. to like devote, to like stop doing homework. School is not for you. You need to play soccer, um, (laughs) when you're 12, literally like that young, um, so they care a lot about soccer and he so he went to do like a specific soccer coaching program over there and he was talking about how much he loves what you just described mike about soccer which is like the the really subtle you're in this place at the right time and even though you're six inches shorter than this guy you jumped and got a header on this corner kick and like scored like you overcame nature by basically like knowledge of the game and preparation and coaching um like that guy by all accounts should have beat you or that team should have beat you but you because you're well coached and because you planned your your strategy overcame it um and he also talked about uh it was interesting about like how soccer 
like the game, like all games kind of have to have integrity in order for their, like you're passing this on to the next generation and how much like in baseball steroids, you said like kind of a generation of guys that were like, who cares about like the, the posterity or the whatever history of this game. I can make a lot of money and I can get a million home runs if I take these drugs, even though it's unfair and it's technically against the rules. Like it just kind of, then everybody all of a sudden, the whole game kind of loses its um, credibility. Same thing with cycling with uh, Lance Armstrong and all that, how everybody kind of needs to see the game as something that we're all protecting. And it's, it's, uh, I don't know, outside of ourselves that we are not, we didn't invent and it'll be here after we're gone. And so we can't mess with it too much, even though like, I think the curveball at first when the the guy, whoever invented the curveball there, the police, the uh, police commissioner, the baseball commissioner was like, this is a, this is cheating. You can't do, this is like a, a blotch, a blemish on the integrity of baseball that you are tricking people. And now it's so a part of the game, obviously. So games evolve, but, um, you can't just come in and be like, I'm just going to change it so that I win, you know? I'm going to deflate the football. Tom Brady. Oh, shoot, dude. Sorry, Tom. went there. Tom's a big fan. I call him Braids. I think he'll do all right. No, it's true, man. This is interesting. Rob, you got any follow-on thoughts for that? Not really. Agreed. I'm impressed that you just inter you intertwined like five different sports there. Yeah, there was a lot. There's a lot of different sports coming in. That's you started on soccer, mm-hmm. and then went to baseball, baseball, and then went into football. Mm-hmm. And I I think I was thinking about basketball mm-hmm. because there has been um, in basketball there's been a like a conscious effort to try and use the most high tech uh, video replay systems that they have. And my little brother was telling me about a moment that he saw in a basketball game where it's like two hands that were reaching out, uh, trying to grab the ball at the same time. And one guy clearly knocked the ball out. It was just, you could see his, his momentum hit the ball and, uh, it like should have been a really clear call that everybody would have seen common sense. Then they went and replayed it. And like, if you super slow mode it down, uh, it turns out that like, you know, one of the guys, he just happened to hit it like very last that was on the other team, but it was something that you could only see in super duper slow motion. If you broke <laughs> the play down to like this weird level of analysis, right? And I, I I like I don't know what how I feel about this, but like it wasn't his fault. <laughs> the other guy clearly knocked the ball out, but the the this guy ended up being the last one to touch it. And Kev, my little brother, I was telling me about it, was like kind of upset about it. because uh, he was like, Yeah, and like technically he was the last one to touch the ball, but in any other time whenever we'd be playing this game, like everyone would have made that call um, the totally opposite way. And so although it's not like 
technically correct. I think it rubbed him the wrong way because it got in with like the spirit of the flow and the motion of the game because they had to break it down into such a minute analytical detail that, I don't know, it, it kind of felt like one of those moments where he was like, no, this is kind of like changing the game. This isn't actually adding to the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so this is helping had, the refs. This is like replacing them with robots. Yeah. Yeah, which I know there's a whole, well, so, but that gets to the conversation of like, how do you allow a thing to propagate correctly, develop well and organically, like but the curveball. not change the game? Yeah. I yeah. don't know. Now, what do you, I mean, oh, this, it makes me think of, I mean, what do you think of that? Like take baseball. There's definitely, it's definitely been floated to like, get rid of the home plate umpire. Just have like an automated box, ball strike, oh, no my arguments. My initial reaction which is what we should go with is that it sucks. <laughs> I know it does. It does. I agree. Does it? I think it does. It totally does. But I don't though, know. Like, yeah. but I couldn't tell you why. Yeah. Cause there's something like the analytical side, that story from the basketball game. I don't, there's something to, in me of like, well, as long as, as long as, it's fair for both sides. Like it, it would, it would have gone the same way for the other team had it been reversed. Then that just is what it is. Like you have to have rules, and um, yeah, I mean that's that's how it goes. So there's there's a fairness in play there. But I don't know. Yeah, to the question of like, but when do you just lose the essence of of the game of like the pace and the um in the, in the flow, how it's coached in a lot of ways, you know, think about like no umpires, just how much psychology those managers put into messing with those umps and getting Mm -hmm. after them to try to get the next call. Um, I don't know what the line, I don't know what the line is. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. I think that those games need to be managed and ruled on by people so that it's people watching people because you're essentially enforcing a law. I mean, it would be like if we had uh, robot policemen. Again, mm-hmm. that's really making a big jump. <laughs> this is the movie Chappie, which I've discussed here. It's police robots. It's a, it's a movie RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, RoboCop. Oh, man. But you, you need... There has to be a human element in every facet of the game in order to protect the integrity of the game. And and I, I won't lie, I do think about the liturgy. Like whenever we do talk about group participation and following set rules for a directed aim and the goal of a community, and there are things that we have to follow, instructions, and it's for the goodness of the game and what's the way to properly hand it on to propagate what we have, but allow it to develop organically without it getting manufactured and losing the essence of what it is. You know, I think those are all the same questions. Yeah. I use, this reminds me of no robot priests, no robot priests. And if there's more there, we can talk about it. But it reminds me of, I think I preached on this maybe at um, all saints day last year. And um, I learned about this. It was from one of those 30 for 30 shorts that are like 15 minutes. Um, and it was about the, man, what was the the name? A Sports Illustrated article on April Fool's Day in like the 80s. 
Um, I think the guy's name was like Sid Finch or something. Sid Finch. He threw a hundred and sixteen mile an hour fastball. No, 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 like no, no, no. It was they made up this whole story. He was from. They said he was from Tibet, and they they were <laughs> the Mets. They had the Mets in on it, and they were saying that he could throw a hundred and sixty. 60 <laughs> mile per hour fastball but like the author that wrote the the article was like a legit journalist you know so people were losing their minds over over this like april fool's day article and it turned out to be some like high junior high like science teacher that just happened to be like six four but like super skinny and um just like a big kind of lanky guy and he he might have known the author and they literally just he got to go to practice a day with the Mets and they had like tarps up and he they like got all the camera angles to try to get glimpses of him and but uh anyway it was I I used that talking about like you know there was something like that reaction of people is like it's very natural in a way because pretty much what the, they were claiming with a legit journalist was this guy like in the rules of the game has figured out a way that will change it like completely. I mean, if you jump from 105 to 160, like it's in, it's obviously inhuman, but just the idea like causes that type of reaction. But I use that as a, as a framework of like, that's like a way to think about, at least in my brain, kind of what the, the saints did is like they're within the framework of of the game and like this growth and holiness and um like a reception towards divine revelation in in their life and they they don't jump from like 105 to 160 miles an hour but they do figure out a way to like improve it and make it involve evolve and like make the game itself better than um I don't know. I just thought of thought of that. And it was a super funny Sports Illustrated story. Sid Finch, I just looked it up. It was 168. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's. I was thinking something similar, Rob, about the human scale. Um, this phrase I've brought up a lot, but the things need to be on a human scale. Otherwise, you f you feel kind of like alienated from them. So like cities where the buildings are all, you know, there's no place for you to encounter them face to face. There's like, you know, a lot of modern architecture, you don't know where the door is. It's just kind of like weird steel and glass or oddly shaped. Um, same thing with, um, well, everything in, in our, our life in order to feel kind of connected and in communion with it um, has to be on the same like size and tempo and um, whatnot of like human experience. Um, so like the replay, the basketball replay, no one sees at that slow-mo rate, you know, we all we're like playing the game and living the game and living our lives and enjoying it at this, like one second per second kind of human perception level. And I think the majority of us, when we say like that guy hit it out of bounds, but actually technically, if you were to have be like a bug, you know, on the ball and like experience time and space this way, this is the actual fact. And it's like, it's imposing 
something that you would you need the aid of technology and um and stuff to to even know is the truth so it's like kind of irrelevant it's totally not on our human scale but i think it also is a deeper question of like epistemology um in terms of like what what is actually real yeah um yeah because that camera clicks at a certain even a digital camera has a certain frame rate you know and so it's it's capturing a minute an image every so and so many nanoseconds or whatever um and in that way it's digital even if it were a film camera be doing the same thing um it's like here's an image here's an image here's an image it's not an analog like how we perceive reality which is not in pixels and not in frames it's just this analog reality that's messy and fleshy um and can't be dissected in that way like you can can't say this is this exact moment so it gets back to the objectifying the subjective that actually like the home plate umpire is a a human subject and that what he's trying to judge is an objective fact so it makes sense you'd say well computer could do that better um but okay that's fine but um baseball is not played by computers it's played by human subjects and that's kind of the fun of it um and a good game is one that has very concrete rules that don't have to change very often you know that are you, you can play a lot of different ways within this framework without compromising the integrity of the game and baseball is like this beautiful example of that that also has this maddening element of the human umpire which is part of the game and uh I just think that by saying like a computer can do it better, it's sort of like the whole artificial intelligence ar- argument of like, well, the human brain is simply a uh, like a really advanced computer, but we could make a better one rather than something totally other. Like the, the mind is not software uploaded to the hardware of your of your flesh, but that there's something mysterious going on that we can perceive reality from the perspective of of one particular human subject. So like 30,000 people can be looking at the same play and I'll have a different experience of it. That's part of the fun of being human um, is that like reality is like that. Uh, And I think you, once you say a computer can be a better umpire, you're, you are saying something about reality um, that is, is debatable and i think like the people who are in favor of stuff like that and and replay are saying it's not really debatable of course computers are better um well i don't know because reality is complicated i know dude i know it's so true um no 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 it's very very true and i think it it does a part of the temptation of having all computer strike zones umpires cameras in every square inch of the field so that you can know exactly what is literally happening that's like a it is a temptation that wells up out of the scientific worldview where you're like no i want to know every analytical detail about everything that i'm seeing so that i can state what is objectively true but that is a that's not a human experience that's not real when it comes to how the human actually experiences the the game of baseball and how we see it and feel it and play it and live it. And there is something really, really important. Um, yeah. About, 
and and I, I, you know, I also want to say it's like I'm not opposed to replay. <laughs> Technology in sports is, has been good and can be used well. I think can be integrated well. I basically um, I think the replay. I agree. It's it's now it's part of the game. It's not going away. But the the main thing that replay has done has given the um, it's basically given the refs a an undo button, which I think is important. I I think of like that perfect game that that guy had where the the oh. umpire made a, an obviously wrong call at first base in the ninth inning on like the last out. Oh, that thing's heartbreaking, the dude. Um, he didn't need replay. Like everybody saw he was wrong. You just need to be able to undo that and say like, Act, sorry, actually he was out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I don't know, but I do think it does stem from the, like a type of scientism where I want to look down at the, an analytical perspective on things that breaks things down into like a, a sub real level. And I don't know. I mean, one of the, well, I don't know. Rob, you got anything on that? I was going to go down a little rabbit hole, but we'll hold off. Um, the rabbit hole may be better than, um, than this. I, and I don't have this exactly what I'm asking, but yeah, I want to know, like, I'm, I'm wondering that, like, how do you define the line? Like what are, what are like standards or ways to, um, this is not it, but like to get at the, like the human, I, you know, just your comment regarding like the liturgy earlier, you know, it was, I think, and not, not in the same way you know, of like a computer to preach a homily or, you know, whatever on, on that. But like, you know, I've thought about that. Like how far is like too far of like trying to like, project out like the like the local liturgy that that we have i mean that's a big covid thing that like everything is live streamed now Mm -hmm. which is good and like serves its purpose i'm all for having masses online that like the homebound can you know watch and everything like that but um i don't know there's just a there's there's something that is like lost in that in a way too i guess I'm, I'm not making i'm not i don't have it formulated help me on what i'm yeah. asking well we we have um there are certain parishes in the diocese that use projectors and mine may or may not be one of those so we'll just leave that up in the air um and there's a use of technology in a non-traditional way that like never ever in the history of Christianity have we done that. And, um, it made people feel really, really strongly about it one way or the other. They say like, this is absolutely essential and every parish should have one of these Mm -hmm. because it allows people to participate. It allows people to know the words of the songs and we don't have to get out our hymnals and the readings can be projected up there and bilingual masses. You can have the, you know, the other language that's projected up. But then there are others that would say, like, no, this absolutely does does harm to the liturgy uh, because it's 
bringing in an external factor. Um, and I mean, I, I do have an opinion on it for sure. Um, but I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you exactly why it is the case. Um, and I think the bringing technology into the liturgy may be a better example than like the projecting it out. Um, cause then we're just trying to display what's already taking place. Um, but actually bringing a projector into mass, that's a whole different ball game. Hmm. Yeah. I got an email the other day that, uh, they're pre-recording midnight mass, uh, which I think they do most years here. And there was some confusion as to whether priests were welcome to can celebrate or not or whatever. And that's why I saw the email, but, um, I thought about like, okay, so they're going to do midnight mass on December 21st and pre-record it so that they can pipe it out at midnight on Christmas Eve. But it's a tape of, it's kind of like this podcast, like this is, you guys are not listening to it as we're talking, you know, this is torn from its origins in space and time. But with the liturgy, it's kind of weird. Um, you know, I think it's, I mean, obviously the, the diocese, the archbishop says it's okay so it's okay but to me that feels odd because like the liturgy is something so human so lived and so organic that you know the liturgical seasons and times matter like what time of day you say mass determines which mass you say you know whether it's saturday after 4 p.m or saturday prior to 4 you know the church has said this is this is what we're all doing right now but then you got the world turning and the sun going down at different times and you know time zones is a technology electric lights in a church or a technology forced air heating, you know, like none of that existed in the early church when, when the Eucharist first was instituted and being celebrated by, should we get rid of microphones? Exactly. So that's all you could, you could say that with the projector projector too. Um, and, uh, I remember a Cardinal George saying to somebody, I won't say who, um, as they were talking about, like, you know, making the argument for a more traditional uh, liturgy, architecture, etc. And Cardinal George says, do you think we should get rid of electric lights? You know, <laughs> so very, very plain uh, logic. But um, so I, I'm, yeah, I, I, I don't want to be totally negative on all technology, qua right. technology in the liturgy, because that, right. I think that argument makes no sense. But um, the flying buttresses of Notre Dame are a technology and they're beautiful, you know. Um, but I will say like, uh, there's the hierarchy of values that we've talked about that before too. Um, like participation, the projector is a good supposedly because it helps people participate, you know, and if you don't speak the language, it can be kind of like subtitles for you and et cetera. So it's, it's to help people like be more, to belong more, to, to be more active participants in the liturgy. So that's a value. But there's another value of just simply like being ecclesia called out of the world into this heavenly reality um, of the of the liturgy, participating in, in heaven. And I personally don't think there's going to be a lot of like blue light pixelated screens in heaven. It's going to be a face to face encounter that's real and human. And that's a really high value to me, you know, Um I don't know, dude. Could be a big <laughs> giant mainframe up there. And we're all just looking at our screens. <laughs> big, <laughs> big mainframe. 
No, there, I, there's definitely Whoa. something to that that's good of um, to orient it with the value structure. Because even, I mean, the simpler one is to talk about it in, in sports. And it is kind of like, okay, yeah, I would. Um, and it is what it is in, in some ways. Obviously, they're not asking us what to do to evolve the game of baseball or basketball. Even though they should be. Yeah. I mean, well, I would assume they listen, but they had just haven't asked us. So here's your answer. Um, but there's something to that of like, um, yeah, you, you like value a certain like artistry in, in the game or even like the human element of umpires or referees. It gives you something to talk about and like Mm -hmm. complain about with your friends. Um, which is, that's like really good. You know, and um, at least to me, like if you put a value structure in it, I'd rather I'd rather have that of like, you know, having something to talk about and like an opportunity for like fraternity and community with my family or friends to talk about something and enjoy this thing, not as the end all be all rather than. Yeah. Yeah like all kind of humanness has been taken out of it and you're just pretty much watching like who can like specialize and play money ball the best. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, like when are you going to replace the players? Cause like the players are not perfect. Obviously like there's some value that uh, you will never sacrifice. Otherwise it ceases to be a game, you know um, you're just watching an algorithm play out. Right. And and then it no longer becomes art. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, why don't we just have computers make paintings? They would be perfect, but they would be weird and I mean, maybe they wouldn't be perfect. I don't know. There but was an interesting uh, AI element. thing that they, they figured out. They plugged in like a bunch of Nirvana into this AI song machine and it, it wrote a new Kurt Cobain song and it really sounds like Nirvana and the lyrics and everything. Um. I don't know if you Google it, like AI Nirvana song. It sounds like something off of a Nirvana album, but it's never, it's completely made up by It's computer. totally computer generated. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe computers will be better artists than us. <laughs> I don't know. Forget what I said. No, but there is the hierarchy of values. It is. Well, I mean, I, I, I go back to the DMAX stuff, especially when it comes to games and art that the purpose of, a thing is beautiful if it's revealing it's what it is and and there has to be a human element to these things for them to be what they are and um you know i th- i think in the liturgy as well um like there are objective standards of what the church has has said that the liturgy is and what christ is revealed and and tradition is, has supported and developed baseball. I don't know how you would define baseball. Like we don't know what, I don't know what baseball is in the same way that I know what the liturgy is, but that's also good because the liturgy, it gives us some, uh, a, a telos that allows us to know like what we're aiming at, what it's supposed to look like. And I mean, this is like, I guess, specifically to the tech use within the liturgy, I, I did remember there's a church in Chicago that was built around, I guess it was like the development of the light bulb. 
and they had uh, it's a huge big beautiful church and i think all of their chandeliers are open they're they're not covered light bulbs and there's like little light bulbs all around the church mm. because they wanted to show off this like brand new technology that they had that might be holy family down the street from me that's like all light bulbs all <laughs> it kind of looks over like christmas altar. lights mm-hmm. yeah and i guess at the time they're like boom baby we are cutting edge okay <laughs> but I, I mean that's okay but th- but there's a big component to the liturgy this side of death when we behold the face of god that's massively mysterious mm-hmm. and technology can help to reveal that mystery but then again it gets to like the scientism thing where it's like no i want to know what every word is so that i can like propositionally compute and analyze yeah like what does participation the, mean in the liturgy and you're like no it's okay to get caught up in in the mystery of something that you don't fully understand, right? which may actually be closer to the reality of what we think the liturgy is, is getting caught up into the other with others. Mm-hmm. And I, technology can totally help to do that and, and can reveal that and invite you into that. Um, but I don't know if the, like the projector seems like the scientistic approach to try and do that. And my, I, mean, I know we're running out of time here, but I, I think that it's probably a generational thing. And in another, another few years, everybody around will have grown up in a world that is haunted and infected with too many screens. And it's a disembodied world. And one of the highest values that the, the liturgy will offer people on a human level is that this is a place where you have to like look people in the eye and take out your earbuds and actually hear the voice of the person next to you singing badly um that this is not filtered through auto-tune at all like the messiness and the fleshiness of a human experience like the liturgy as much as it is also an image of heaven Hmm. um and the spirit is breathing and speaking um the human voice and response and face is so obviously integral that all of the disembodiedness of virtual reality just has to go like no one will find that inspiring um i think it's a a certain naivete that's my opinion i don't want to be disrespectful but of like oh why don't we just put screens people love screens let's put screens in the church and you don't know what you're doing forgive them father they don't know what they're (laughs) doing (laughs) father michael bremer uh of the archdiocese of atlanta says that uh, we will never lose our jobs to robots. And he has said this from a, for a long time, like from the first day of... When Sunday. robots were still like squeaky. You're like, whoa, because <laughs> we won't be able to get past... Or robots won't be able to get past the lavabo. <laughs> <laughs> and then he would always go, I was just learning how to love, 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 love. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I could set him up, 50 times in a row and he would do that joke all the way through. It does it does take me back to like 8 years a robot. ago listening to him tell that joke. <laughs> yeah. I was just learning to love love love. love, 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 love. <laughs> all right dudes, I got to go. Yeah. Right. Good talk. Follow Free Dogs North on Instagram.
Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.